It is almost my favorite day of the entire year. The NBA draft, and we'll get you ready with the athletics. Sam Bassini. This guy does great work. We're going to talk basically about every first round prospect. So we cover a lot here in an hour and an opening rant about college realignment and why you know I hate it, but it's been going on forever and it's basically unavoidable. So some backstory to somebody that had to talk about it all the time when he was at ESPN uh, over a decade ago when he was doing this stuff and life advice. So enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Because of the NBA draft and then the finals finishing up, I have not talked about a subject that I actually love talking about, even though I hate it, and that's conference realignment. Uh, Let me tell you, as somebody who lived through it at ESPN about 10 years ago when all this stuff kind of got started up again, and again, it happened. It's been happening for years, but the time it really felt like there were these plate tectonic type shifts happening throughout college landscapes. And really, it's about college football. It's never really about basketball. Although if you add a basketball school, you're like, hey, cool. Look at how awesome our basketball school is. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And it's obviously not very enlightening to say, well, hey, it's all about money um, because there's really no other way to explain it because that's the only way that it's going to happen. So you kind of have to mention it, even though it's not really like if I just did, hey, these guys want money. uh, That's not why you tune in. That's not why you pay or don't have to pay for this podcast. But you know, when you think about Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 and going to the SEC, does it mean that we have this super conference on the horizon? I mean, I guess so. I guess the money grab is so much that if you just said, hey, does everybody want to join up and just be this one big awesome conference and have the biggest television deal? I guess you could say it's worth it. I mean, the schools keep saying there still isn't enough money, even though there's plenty of money. Um, but again, anybody that's ever worked for any kind of business, no one ever says, hey, I think we're making just enough. Let's not try to expand our footprint. I mean, it doesn't really happen. And it's not going to happen with these college campuses that love spending money more than any institutions in the entire country. So as Texas and Oklahoma join, I I go, all right, you know, fine, I guess. Um, but I like I like the Big 12. I like Big 12 schools. I like Pac-12 schools or Pac-10 schools looking like Pac-10 schools. I like the SEC, honestly, without Missouri and Texas A&M. Um, I loved Big East basketball. Canell and I used to argue all the time because he'd be like, everybody's a loser in the SEC because they root for their conference. Because And it's like, yeah, that's such a loser thing because people want their conference to also be considered the best. And I told him, hey, I did it as a little kid. When I would root for Big East schools that I didn't like because I'd want to see them do well in the tournament. So you could say, hey, the Big East is the best conference when it comes to basketball. And if anybody feels sad about it, I always joke the two movies that make me cry, and that's The Breakup and Requiem for a Dream, um, the Big East 30 for 30. So, you know, I, I firsthand 
know what it feels like to have something that you're geographically attached to and you want to feel like, hey, the Big East is the toughest league and, hey, they put the most pros in and they do better in the tournament because there was a time there where the Big East felt like it was just the professional league and they had six fouls. There was something identifiable about conference play for basketball that at the time when I was growing up felt like a real thing, that ACC schools play like this, Pac-12 schools play like this, or Pac-10, um, even going all the way back to the Big 8, and the same thing that happens in college football. You know, people have made jokes. If you play down south, you think the Big 10 is boring. If you play down south, you think the Pac-12 is soft. We've spent years now complaining about Big 12 defenses, and I know it sounds personal, nobody really likes it, but I actually like that stuff. I like that differentiating stuff. We're talking about college football. You go back to 2010, Larry Scott, the former commissioner of the Pac-12, who was promising everything under the sun, including a 16-team league, and wanting to add Texas and Oklahoma. Well, they got Utah and Colorado in 2011. Um, people were making moves. Nebraska in 2011 went to the Big Ten. I think there were a few reasons. Nebraska fans get really salty if you suggest that it was any animosity towards Texas having its own Longhorn network. I'm sure that didn't help. But Nebraska only made, I think, $9 million dollars in revenue the last year they were part of the Big 12. And then when you looked at where they went to the Big 10, on the side they went to the Big 10, you felt like, hey, Nebraska's got a real chance here. And honestly, they've been even more disappointing in the Big 10 than they were in the Big 12. Uh, Texas A&M and Missouri end up. And that's when you start talking yourself into Missouri going, and look, Missouri's actually done much better than I think anybody would have thought Missouri was going to do when they first entered the SEC. But then you start saying things like, hey, this is great because we add their academic standards. And you're like, yeah, nobody, nobody really cares. Like, are you, is that what you're really talking about? And by the way, the Texas thing and Oklahoma, and then there was a Florida State thing, I think that goes all the way back to the 90s that people thought could actually happen. So as much as I can sit here as a traditionalist and say, I don't like any of this stuff, and I'm telling you, I don't like it, although I get why it happens. Like, I just think it would suck if Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida State, Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and what other Big Ten school do I pick? I can't really even pick Michigan right now. Let's throw Penn State in the mix. And then Notre Dame says, all right, screw it, this independent thing we're over with. Although everybody gets way more mad at Notre Dame for being an independent, uh, which I think is a way bigger waste of time than any of the stuff that we argue about. I, I don't want all those teams in the same fucking conference. And I don't think that makes me sound like an 80-year-old in a nursing home, you know, being mad that people don't run Army's offense more often, okay? No offense to anyone in a nursing home that's listening right now. Shout out. I just don't want it to happen. I don't want there to be things that it's like, oh, remember? Because by the way, I don't think the Big Ten wants any of this stuff. I mean, they added Maryland and Rutgers. Shout out for that New York media footprint. Um, you think Maryland wants to be part of the Big Ten? Of course they don't. R Rutgers was in the American for one year after the Big East. They were just happy anybody wanted them. And considering the revenue cut that they get out of that with Rutgers football, uh, they're, I mean, talk about, the absolute gift of gifts on realignment. But I mean, look, it, it does keep happening and it will keep happening. Uh, Virginia Tech, Miami left the Big East and went to the ACC and they thought that was going to be the end of it. Then the ACC added Boston College a year later in 2005. And then this is really what ended the Big East as far as a football conference. Not only that, their commissioner at the time turned down a massive TV deal, I believe, from ESPN and asked for even more. And it was massive for the Big East at the time. They turned it down. And then ESPN's like, all right, screw it. We're not going to do it. You can go look all this stuff up. Pitt and Cuse bolted from the Big East and went to the ACC. And that's when all of a sudden it became <laughs> the Big East was like this weird um, Catholic basketball league. And that was the best they could do. That was like the best they could do. At that point, because football was just not a factor whatsoever. And as I've said before, I don't really like all that. 
Um, I remember working at ESPN and I, I called somebody who was, there's like one guy that was in charge. I'm not going to use his name. You can look it up. You can figure it out. And he's a great guy. I got along with him really well, but it wasn't like I was super close to them. But when all this stuff was going down, the whole reason the Big 12 even survived the first time through was because like one guy with that kind of juice who could get a TV deal done was like, look, here's what we're going to do, Big 12. We're going to save you, even though you're on life support and you're going to you know, still be the Big 12. You're going to have your 10 teams. You guys can kind of figure it out. And you know, we'll increase the TV deal, but Texas still has the Longhorn Network. And honestly, since the launch of the Longhorn Network, it's timed out horribly as what could have been an incredible product. And that's another thing, too, is like you can make all the Texas jokes you want about, hey, you're not good enough. And A&M fans laugh at them and all this stuff. It's all stupid because guess what? Texas is still one of the brands. It's one of the five best brands. No question. And I just believe at some point, yes, although this is an absurd lengthy time since they haven't been back that they are going to be good again. So Texas shouldn't be sitting here saying, oh, let's turn down this awesome, awesome app opportunity because we're not winning enough games. But I remember that was basically the deal. Like that was it. It was just one guy kind of put together a TV deal. ESPN's like, cool, more live rights, differentiated from these other things. If you guys want to stay on life support, we'll do this and we'll do this TV deal. But it also made you realize that this week was going to happen at some point. That Texas and Oklahoma were going to be like, look, if there's a bigger cut somewhere else, the Big 12 can't figure this out and can't strengthen their position. And it's not about not winning a championship. Because honestly, you think you'd want to stay there then have to go through the SEC gauntlet that adds two more teams like Texas and Oklahoma. Again, projecting Oklahoma to always be good and Texas eventually getting back there. But it's it's simply about the revenue split on this. I remember asking the guy, I was like, hey, is there any way like you and I could get together so I have a better sense of like what the hell's going on? And he was like, what are you asking me? I go, well, I'm on the air every day talking about the fucking re realignment. Like every day I'm talking about realignment. Is there any way like I could just break bread with you for 30 minutes and we talk about like what's going on? He was like, absolutely not. He's like, why would why would I tell you what we're doing as we're negotiating television deals here that are much bigger than your C block? And I was like, fair, fair point. But I had to ask. And then I realized, like, we had one reporter who was going out on SportsCenter getting it all wrong all the time. I mean, he was fucking up realignment updates constantly, like on the daily. And you felt bad for him because at that point, ESPN's priority wasn't to make sure the reporter had it right on SportsCenter. It was to make sure that their negotiations were about their negotiations. And that was just something. And look, I they were right. They were right to handle it that way. But as somebody that was doing it every single day and looking around going like, hey, man, I get it. I get what this is about. I get it's about expansion. It's about growth and grabbing up every single last TV dollar and going to your TV partners and saying, well, what if we did this? Or what if we did this? Or what if we added this? Or all these different things. There comes a point when it's like Super League A and Ohio State's in the same division with Oregon and LSU, you know, is it actually something like, again, that no one ever cares about us. No one cares about the fan part of it. But I don't think it's outdated to say I actually don't want that to happen. But it's going to. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first, you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now, by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. 
they told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Let's talk draft. We are just about 24 hours away from it. And Sam Vecini joins us from The Athletic, who uh, not only does extensive work all over the website. I mean, it's it's hard to even keep up with all the work that he does, <laughs> the most recent tier stuff, but also the Game Theory podcast where they were going through it and they did their kind of own mock. So uh, this is cool, man. Uh, you've always been super nice to me. So I, um, I'm, I'm glad we get you for a little bit here. So let's run through it. Yeah, no, I mean, look, Ryan, like from afar, you're someone that is always like, I've always kind of looked at what you've done and tried to incorporate some of it into what I do. Like you're one of the few people that I feel that way about. Uh, (laughs) Having said that, man, like, can can you imagine a bigger drop off in the media circle than going from Dan Patrick to me? I mean, oh, God. (laughs) Well, Straight we take bottom of the barrel, boys. Yeah. If it makes you feel any worse, we went from Malcolm Gladwell. So it was like Dan Patrick and then we taped with Gladwell. That one's not out yet. So, um, oh, yeah. God, I, yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're right uh, in the middle there. That's perfect. OK, this this draft, we knew it was deep at the top. And it's funny because the biggest thing about last year was yeah, the top. We don't know. And then the top ended up working out. It was a productive top. Um, and there are so many years where like this draft is going to be the worst going in and we can be wrong. I mean, this is a really hard process. We, we get it. Anybody that actually spends a lot of time on this realizes how difficult it is. And I think we're actually more accepting of mistakes being made. And I just would kind of start with like Davion Mitchell is one of my favorite examples. During the tournament, I was like, do not forget what this guy is doing. Do not forget the impact and how he's single-handedly changing the outcome of big-time games and he's more comfortable than everybody else and all these different things. And then you start talking with lottery teams. You're like, yeah, but we might be drafting a career backup point guard. And you're like, yeah, he's kind of small. The wingspan wasn't great. He shot it well one year. And that's that's the game. And that you'll even have teams go, yeah, we think this guy's kind of a project and be totally whiff, but we're just going to try that this year because we're a little more desperate for adding sort of a higher ceiling guy. So I think these are always important things to remember. So as we go to the very top of this, where it was always a five-person draft, including Kaminga. I think you would agree now when you talk to teams, I don't I don't hear Kaminga fifth that much at all anymore. I think people have, I'm not saying they're off of Kaminga, but he's not in this first tier of five guys the way it goes. So you did a big tier thing, which I really appreciate. Give me who you think are like the top. Is, there, is it a one-tier guy with Cade, or do you have it out to three guys? I mean, look, if, if it's me personally, I have it as like one guy in the top tier. It's Kate Cunningham, right? Like, I, I think I do my tiers a little bit differently. Like, I, I tend to uh, only reserve that top tier for guys that I think are absolute superstars, right? Like, I think Cade Cunningham is going to be a top 10, 15 player in the NBA. I have him there, right? And, and I think that his floor is higher than just about any prospect that I can remember to be honest. And I think he has that ceiling. So he's just a clear tier one guy. Most of the teams I talk to though, I'll be honest, like I get more three names than four names now. Like I I get more Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green. I I have Jalen Suggs at number two. I love him. I I think he's going to be a phenomenal NBA player. He's going to be an all-star, but like 
I, teams that I talk to don't necessarily agree. So uh, if we're talking in terms of what everyone across the league thinks, if I was trying to come up with like a consensus deal, yeah, I, I would say there are three names that I get. It's Cade, it's Evan Mobley, and it's Jalen Green. From the team standpoint, it's absolutely those three guys. Uh, and I, I've said this before, when you talk to the non-decision makers that work for teams, you'll hear more Jalen Green. And then when I went ahead and I just started going like, okay, I would text the decision maker that I was lucky enough to have <laughs> access to that would trust me. And I'd be like, it's you in a vacuum, not your team, not Detroit's roster, but just you going through the whole thing. Like, do you, does it Cade or do you have to think about it? And everybody that's responded to me has said, don't even have to think about it. I'm taking Cade. And that I think is not only Cade ceiling, but I also think it comes with the territory of being the guy that's on the line, your, your employment is attached to this and it's like look I'm I'm just gonna, I'm taking Cade I'm taking Cade with this but I love your Jalen Sugg stuff that you did on the most recent podcast because give I want you to explain it if you're going strictly with what the accepted NBA comps are for Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs then why would you want Jalen Green over Jalen Suggs right yeah like it's funny like I I I, I used Kevin, Kevin O'Connor at the ringer, who's terrific. And I, I certainly don't mean to call out Kevin. Like, I think Kevin's phenomenal. Uh -oh. um, Beef early, was, only a few minutes in. It was more just like Kevin and his thing that he does, the big board every year, he does, you know, shades of, right? And it was shades of Zach Levine, Bradley Beal for Jalen Green. And for Jalen Suggs, it was like shades of Chauncey Billups, Brandon Roy. And, and I think like you might add Jamal Murray in there too. But it's like, okay, if you think that it's shades of Chauncey Billups and, you know, Brandon Roy, those guys are better players than Bradley Beal and Zach Levine. They affect winning in a more coherent way. So why would Jalen Green be ahead of Jalen Suggs for me? And that's kind of what it comes down to. Like, I think that Jalen Suggs is a more complete prospect than Jalen Green. And I think he's going to have more of an impact on winning basketball. I think Jalen Green is probably a little bit safer. He's a better bet to average 20 points a game. I just worry about how does that look in the context of a winning situation? Yeah, I don't like comps all that much, but when they, they hammer a point, like Jalen feels a little more chauncey to me I don't like anybody being compared to Jason Kidd. I just don't. I think anybody that ever was yeah. lucky enough to watch Kidd while he was in college, it was spectacular in college. It was it was a level beyond anything. Like even when Darren Williams was compared to him, and Darren Williams went on to have a terrific career when he was healthy, and you could describe him that way, body type and all that stuff. But there was there was an element of like impact type plays that completely changed the game that Kidd had, and he couldn't even really score when he was doing this. Uh, I don't like comparing anyone to Kidd, but if anybody were to say, hey, Jalen Suggs, I think he's the closest to Jason Kidd that we've seen in 20 years, I'd be like, well, then I want him number two. And that's why I just liked your positioning for it. But Green is usually always ahead of Suggs. I think you'd agree, right? As we went through yep. it, like the teams, Suggs is rarely ever mentioned in front of any of the top guys that we mentioned from teams. Is that fair? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair. I think it's totally right. I can't navigate why that is. Like, I still have, like, I've asked teams about it, and they're just like, yeah, we think that Jalen Green's just more athletic, and we think that he's going to be able to get to whatever shot he wants. It's always more discussing what Jalen Green can do as opposed to discussing what Jalen Suggs can't do and why he's a little bit lower. I, you know, I've heard streaky shooter with Jalen Suggs, but like, I think Jalen Green has a bit of that same streakiness. I've heard, you know, half court decision making and processing with Jalen Suggs in terms of like playmaking uh, as a 
purported lead guard, right? I mean, he's better passer than Jalen Green, right? So I, I don't know. It's hard for me to navigate why Jalen Suggs. It was very clearly a top four when we started this process. I think you would agree. And, you know, even by the time the NCAA tournament ended, I felt like we we're starting to get some whiffs of Jonathan Kaminga's like kind of falling off. He's more in that, you know, clear number five, maybe even number six range. But when the NCAA tournament ended, it looked like maybe that was recency bias in some way. It was Jalen Suggs clearly in the mix there. And, and now he's not quite there. So, yeah, I can't quite figure that out at the end of the day. I don't know if it's, you know, I, for the guys that are really around the college part of it and the recruiting, I would ask and be like, well, what was the thought when he was coming in? It's like, well, of course he was a big deal and it's a big recruit for Gonzaga, but now for Gonzaga, they, I mean, they're getting anybody now. I mean, they're going to potentially right. have the number one pick for next year's draft coming in. Um, I think they were surprised he shot it, even though it was 34% on the season. Like even that was like, Hey, he, he shot it. He ended up shooting it better in games. And look to, to talk about Suggs, if you're going to project Jalen Green and be like, you know, he's got this little He's got this shake to him. He's got this scoring in him. He's got this fuck you in his game. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to say that Jalen Green has that, then Jalen Suggs is is like the first guy I think of when I want a guy fighting. Um, yep. Somebody that I'd want in my side in a pickup game. You know, sometimes I like Miles McBride for West Virginia is a perfect example. Like if I had a pickup game and I wanted to stay on the court the whole game, I want Miles McBride out there. And we'll, maybe yep. we'll get to later. But Suggs is like all first team that guy. So, I mean, the fact that he could end up going for, uh, that's how I felt about this draft going through every one of these players. Cade's the number one guy. There could be four or five players that we look back in a few years saying, how the hell did we not realize that that guy was being the best player? And if Jalen Suggs is the best player, I don't think that's a crazy statement right in front of the 2021 draft. No, I agree. It just has that kind of real power athleticism that works at the NBA level. He has that fuck you attitude at the end of the day, kind of like you said, uh, you know, really wants the moment. Like he wants the ball in his hands at the biggest moments. And I think that applies to Cade Cunningham as well, by the way. I, there was a number out there like in the beginning of March that Cade Cunningham had almost twice as many clutch points uh, in, you know, games that were under five points with five minutes or fewer remaining in the game uh he had like twice as many points as anyone in the country at that point and part of it was like product of oklahoma state playing a lot of close games last year but part of it also was also a product of cade cunningham really being awesome in those moments so uh yeah jalen suggs i think is a legit dude and we haven't even talked about the defense yet like i think his defensive upside is outstanding he is a monster on the ball in the biggest moments like he was legitimately guarding the hell out of like Johnny Juzang. He was guarding the hell out of anyone in Baylor's backcourt. He was the only one that looked up to the standard athletically in that game against Baylor. So uh, you throw in like the crazy off ball defensive instincts. Like I'm sure that everyone remembers the weak side block against UCLA and then the run out to Drew Timmy where he threw the ridiculous bounce pass through traffic and Timmy got an and one. I, I mean, special he's just, stuff, right? Yeah. No, he's a I'm special player at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, sometimes you get a little too caught up in those moments and stuff, but I always remind people like Halliburton. Halliburton had so many moments in comparison to other players coming to the draft. You're like, holy shit, I can't believe he just saw that. He read it that way. Like nobody else was thinking of that stuff. And Jalen Suggs has all those things. But, you know, if you're on the green side of the argument, you go look at the competition and it really wasn't close. Like even against a team like Baylor, like the stuff that you'd have to go up against in the G League was different. So let's let's get to Kaminga here because I've heard Kaminga and almost all the arguments seem to be a little lazy, like, oh, Masai will take him because of the connection. And you're like, yeah. well, that, that seems like a reach. It's like, oh, 
Oklahoma City will take him because that's what Presti likes. I'm like, yeah, I think Presti likes long athletic guys like at the end of the first round and the beginning of the second. I think Presti, <laughs> first of all, none of us really know what Presti's doing. They're very tight knit. Um, and so yeah. you don't get a lot of stuff out of them. But the idea that Presti's just going to take a swing at somebody that other people are off of, I um, am done with Kaminga. I would say if I had to actually make the pick, I'd go, hey, I'd look at the room and go, maybe we're going to be wrong about this and regret it, but somebody else can go ahead and take him. I'm not going to. I went back and watched all the New York Rens stuff. It is more impressive, but he's still not this shaky. He's a 6'8 guy who takes a lot of bad shots, who has physical bursts and moments that you're excited about, but he's not the basketball player the other four or five guys are that we're going to be talking about here. He's just not. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I try to explain to people. Like Jonathan Kaminga had this crazy athletic pedigree coming in, right? And like is compared often to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is a way more dynamic athlete than Jonathan Kaminga is. It's just in terms of the like body control stuff and everything. Yeah, I almost think with Kaminga, it'd be easier if he was just terrible all the time because there are little glimpses, you know, <laughs> like there are times you're like, oh, okay, so this is why everybody was so excited about him because the G League yeah. stuff was not nearly as good as any of the high school stuff you would look at, which would make sense because the competition is completely different. He has these right. moments of like turnaround jumpers where you're like, holy shit, like, look at that. And it looked good out of his hands. It looked smooth. So if he never had any of those things, it would just be so much easier to be dismissive. But I think people are scared of passing on the 6'8 kid with this body type that shows you glimpses. I just... The basketball just isn't good enough consistently where, you know, I would start thinking about some of these other guys. So, like, what what do you think happens with him between, you know, you you clearly don't have him in your top four, but in your mocks, are you struggling with where to land him? Five, six, seven? Oh, totally. Uh, you know, I, I hear I, I hear number five, like it, it's Scotty Barnes over him. Like, I, I think Orlando is taking Scotty Barnes. Um, number six with Oklahoma City, I've consistently heard James Booknight like his name there more. Whether or not that's a product of Sam Presti putting some stuff out that he wants out there, whether or not that's a product of uh, you know other sources giving information that they think is true or false, who knows, right? But I, I do think that once you get down to seven with Golden State, like I can't even really get a straight answer from like people connected there in terms of how they feel about him in comparison to some of the other guys they like, such as James Booknight, Moses Moody, Josh Giddy. Like those are the three names that I've gotten for them consistently, basically from the time the lottery ended. Like those, those are the guys that I think they really, really like at number seven. Early on, you'd hear a little bit of Davion Mitchell, but I think that was more uh, not the front office than, uh, you know, Maybe the players wanting a guy that can make an impact immediately. You know, maybe the coaching staff wanting a player that can make an impact immediately. In terms of the front office, I, I think those are the three guys. And I think that they maybe didn't expect Jonathan Kaminga to fall to number seven. So that they're trying to figure out how they feel about him. I really believe that there's a chance that Jonathan Kaminga, we're looking at him like sitting there in the teens, maybe. Like he could, he could be there as late as 10, and that would not blow my mind. Yeah, that's a massive drop off from where he would have been when he started pulling teams, you know, while the season was still going on. Oh, um, I'll tell but, you this: like, yeah. I talk to uh, like a sports book, right? Like a like someone who like sets the odds for yeah. these things. And the, you know, they asked like, how would you handicap the number one overall pick right now? I was like, look, and this was back in late November, early December, so before the G League bubble. I was like. Look, I would have Cade Cunningham as like the drastic favorite. It'd be like minus 450. It would be, it, the point would be to make it so you don't get bets on Cade, basically. My number two guy right now that I would bet on was Jonathan Kaminga. 
Like I felt like he had a real chance based on what I was hearing out of these practices in Walnut Creek with the G League Ignite. I was like, man, like I hear he looks great. I hear he looks unbelievable. Like I think there's a real chance that he's the guy that rises up through here. And it just didn't happen in the bubble games. He was not very good. He was not down in a defensive stance regularly. He rarely made weak side rotations. Like, no, he would just chunk out on plays. Like, yeah, there, there would mean, be times where everybody was getting back on defense, and like it would just make no, he would just no rhyme or reason to it. He just would be like, eh, "I'm not getting back this time." Like, like I get it in a pickup game if you're trying to get get your breath. It's, right. it's a little tough when you're when you're supposedly competing to be the top pick in the draft, and um. You know, again, those signs, you just keep track of them and you're like, all right, well, maybe he just wasn't into this. But you want to, you know, sometimes you're just turning it into excuse making for a guy that you eventually were arguing at a really high selection. So um, no, go ahead. Go I think ahead. that's 100 percent right. No, I, I think you're 100 percent right. Like, I think a lot of this comes down to anchoring at the end of the day, like coming in, thinking that Jonathan Kaminga was going to be great. And, and to be honest, like I still have a higher grade on Kaminga than I do Scotty Barnes because I'm not quite as big of a believer in Scotty Barnes's shot creation potential as other people are, right? Like, I think Scotty Barnes is going to be a really good, uh, you know, fifth starter or something like that, a guy who's very switchable defensively. Like, I think he's a five offensively right now uh, who can, like, grab and go on the break and, you know, be a transition passer and a transition finisher. But I don't know what you do with him in the half court offensively right now. So well, I, he- I like Jonathan Kamiga a little bit more than him, but, like, I, I don't... It, it's more a function of... I like the rest of the guys less as opposed to I love Jonathan Kaminga. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when I started my process and really digging in, all of a sudden I'm looking at Barnes in the late lottery and I'm going, okay, I love Scotty Barnes. Like I even joked right. about it. I think in May, I was like, this is now going to be a Scotty Barnes fan account from Twitter. <laughs> and then it's like, well, shit, this guy might go for now. <laughs> like I don't want to have to argue against him right. uh, because the shot is bad. It's straight up bad. And yep. what I do love about him is that anybody, especially as a freshman who comes out on the floor, and starts telling all the other players, older guys, where they're supposed to be in the half-court set. <laughs> yeah. And he's telling them, and he's right. That's something that will always jump out to me. Uh, I probably like his passing a little bit more than you do. But there's some people in the league that just think straight up his shot is broken. And if you bring in Scotty Barnes and you think you're going to stick him in the corner and then he's going to be a switchable defensive guy, then why are you – like? You, if you do that to him, if he's in the wrong setup, I am worried about him. Like if he were to Orlando and all the ball handlers are back healthy and now Scotty Barnes is running around out there, he's going to be more limited than Aaron Gordon. And you're going to be saying like, didn't we just get rid of uh, like a sort of a limited yeah. offensive guy who's supposedly switchable on defense? Now he legit will guard point guards and pick them up, as you know. And, you know, when I watched him, I think it was against Dayron for North Carolina, like he was defending him in the post and it was like real. Yep. It wasn't a switch. It wasn't a joke. But you make you make a great point in that hey look you know i know everybody loves scotty barnes right now but there's certainly teens well i shouldn't say everybody because there are teams that are like nah that shot sucks man yeah and i may sound like i'm projecting some version of his shot getting better just because i've liked him for the last few months of watching him so no i mean like i've had scotty barnes at number six on my board i feel like the whole year basically it's just that i can't that was high because you you had him higher than other people did yeah yeah, like I, I've I've liked Scotty Barnes since he was in high school. I love the dude. Uh, I respect the way that he goes about his shit so much. Like he is not only communicative off or on the court and like the way that he helps his teammates, he's like the best teammate ever if you talk to people around him. Like he is an energy giver. He's like a guy that, you know, we were talking about Jalen Suggs, like the kind of guy who makes these plays that, you know, just kind of lift the spirits of the team. You go back, there's a play against Florida where they're out in transition. He dunks on 
uh, Scotty Lewis's head and then starts tapping his head like he's too small. And I threw it down on his head and he's dancing and his teammates are going nuts on the sidelines. And he's like, oh, shit, I got to get back. Like, I have to run back in transition defense and start sprinting back. Like, those are the plays that I think really, you know, help your team and get you going. I just like I think right now what you do with Scotty Barnes, you play him as like a short roll center man who can hopefully take advantage of four on threes as a passer because uh, like the finishing numbers aren't even as elite as what you would expect for someone with his length and athleticism. So, yeah, uh, it's a there tricky are glimpses. A tricky there one. are glimpses. But like when people can comp him to Patrick Williams, I go, look, Patrick Williams was always uh a secondary offensive player in that whatever he got going was off of somebody else's stuff. Um, he wasn't going to dribble a lot. You know, he wasn't always going to pull up and all that kind of stuff. Like Scotty Barnes needs the ball a little bit. If you never let him yeah. be somewhat of a playmaker and I'm not talking like bringing the ball up and playing point guard at six, nine the whole time. I'm talking about like letting him get involved with some sort of ball movement where he's making decisions and he's showing his passing. Cause that's the thing and his defensive versatility beyond that. Cause again, if you stick him in the corner and you're like, Hey, keep us honest from outside, then I don't know. Like I used to hate that shit with some of these older school coaches that it was almost like, we don't trust your offense. So now this is before all the spacing that we're obsessed with now for good reason. But you just be like, you're almost punished. So don't ever leave the corner and be like, well, okay, now I'm what the hell am I supposed to develop into if I'm sitting here in the corner for three years? Well, that, that's part of it. And also a big part of it is that's not an effective way to run an offense with Scotty Barnes. Like no, every mistake. time, if he's in the corner, every single time, every time, his man is going to collapse down into the paint as the weak side rim protector. Every single time. And he's going to, your guys who are driving to the paint are going to go two on one every time. Every time Markel Fultz drives into the paint, every time Cole Anthony drives into the paint, they're going one on two every time. And they're probably not finishing at the basket because guys in the NBA are really tall and really long. Okay, so this next group then, because depending on, you know, why don't we run through more guys here, but uh, give me a sense of like where you're at with with some different guys, because I think it sounded like you like Moody more than Book Knight, um, which yeah. I guess I was a little surprised <laughs> by, because I think that's anti kind of where the momentum is for Book Knight and, Mo and Moody at this point. I think it is. Look, it's kind of a toss-up at the end of the day. It's more what you like in terms of player. I think that Moses Moody has a higher floor than James Booknight. I think that Booknight certainly has a much higher ceiling just because of the shot creation ability. Like, the way that Booknight strings together moves as a ball handler on the perimeter is, like, unbelievable. Uh, he brings that, like, New York mindset. Like, people will call that, like, a cliche or whatever. But, I, I mean, he, he's really, like, the epitome of a New York guard in that way. So, when I look at what James Booknight can do I think that the ceiling's really high like I think he could average 20 points a game but again like I, I worry about what it looks like in the context of a winning situation a little bit if only because he's a I think he's a little bit underrated defensively like when he locked in he was pretty good and he just wasn't necessarily asked all the time to lock in because so much of the shot creation burden was on his head at Connecticut like he needed to do everything for them uh, I think he took something like under 10 contested shots or uncontested shots last year at Connecticut it was just crazy so yes I buy James Booknight in terms of the shot creation but I worry about him as a passer I worry about him a little bit as a defender with Moses Moody it, it's just like a tailor-made three and D fit and he's 19 years old and he's a really hard worker and he's a great kid I kind of think we're underrating like the potential for shot creation upside, like as a secondary playmaker a little bit with him. Uh, he's still really young. He's still uh, getting better. And frankly, like maybe this is a knock against him, but 
he this was his first year like playing as the primary guy in a few years because he was at Montverde Academy with dudes like Cade Cunningham and Caleb Houston, who's going to be a lottery pick this year. Scotty Barnes was there his last year. Dayron Sharp was there. Just so, so people was, understand, we're talking about a high school team that could have like four lottery picks and the fifth guy's a first. So right. this is like absurd. And this is all these guys that played with Cade. And honestly, I thought Cade almost looked more athletic when he was in high school than he was at Oklahoma State. But I also think Oklahoma State's team wasn't very good. And he just had to like dissect everything, every single possession. Um, but that's that's another aside on Cade. But go ahead. No, yeah, I think you're right. Like Oklahoma State had two non-shooters out there all the time, and that wasn't a good other team. best. Yeah, their other no. best shooter shot 33. percent So every time Cade drove, everyone was collapsing down into the paint. Um, so th- this was Moody's first real year as a shot creator, and I thought he was really good. Like he averaged 17 points a game. He got to his spots really well in the mid range. Uh, I think he has a real shot to be like that secondary scorer within five years. Like it's going to take some time, but he already has a skill set. To where he's going to be able to step in pretty quickly, I think, as a three and D guy, and then build based upon that. Like he's going to get real game time, I think. Then be able to kind of build, uh, you know, his experience within basketball, understanding the way that help defenses are going to play him. Uh, being able to get on the court early, I think, is a huge benefit to guys in terms of reaching their ceiling. And I think Moses Moody is going to have an easy time getting on the court pretty early, regardless of situation that he ends up in. I don't like saying soft very often. I thought Moody played soft at times. Um, and maybe he's just a young kid. Uh, he had a bad tournament. And maybe it was just a bad tournament. Yeah. I mean, somebody else who I looked at, like, I thought Kispert struggled more in the tournament. And then I started looking through the splits, the regular season stuff. And I was like, you know, did this Gonzaga schedule? Was it because, you know, look, when he's six seven, six eight, when you see a clip of Kispert coming off a screen and catch, shoot, one motion and how good it looks, you're like, okay, that guy's a lottery yeah. pick. Like, even at the worst, he's a lot. Like, he has to be a lottery yeah. pick. He's that big. Some of the athletic testing was really good. And so you're going, all right. But I guess with Kispert, I always wanted to see a little bit more. And the tournament wasn't very good. We realized Gonzaga had a bunch of other ball handling options. So you think, okay, was he limited? It's almost like the Trey Murphy thing at Virginia, where if you right. talk yourself into him, you're going, well, hey, he can actually do a little bit more. Look at his ISO clips. Don't just look at him, you know, bobbing in the perimeter and, and trying to find an angle. Look at some of the stuff when he actually put the ball on the floor. Um, but with Kispert and Moody, the tournaments are tough to get over. And maybe you're better for it than I am. <laughs> because you're you're not holding against it. There were, you know, some of that moment stuff we like with Suggs. You know, we like with some of these other guys. Yeah. Um, I felt like both Kisper and Moody had stretches in the tournament where I was like, oh man, like I just want I want to see a little bit more. But I, but I'm not better for it because I don't have Kispert as a lottery pick. So like I'm not, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of you know playing both sides of the spectrum here a little bit, right? So sure. Uh, in the case of Moody, what I like is the fact that he has his defense to fall back on. I think. Uh, he's six foot six with a seven foot one wingspan. He can actually defend multiple positions. Whereas Corey Kispert, I mean, you got him in space against those athletes at Baylor. I mean, he had no shot. It felt like they were trying to get him switched on to Davion Mitchell. They were trying to get him switched on to Jared Butler. Uh, they were trying to get Drew Timmy switched on to those guys too, but it was Kispert a little bit as well. So even if the shot creation stuff doesn't happen with Moody, I feel like it's still a real easy fit in today's NBA as a role player, at least, where he's a 3 and D guy. He comes in, he knocks down shots, he defends multiple positions, maybe attacks closeouts pretty well, maybe doesn't get all the way to the rim. Like, I don't think he's going to put a ton of pressure on the rim because he's just not that kind of athlete, but I'm a big fan. Like, I'm, I'm willing to take a shot on a guy that's 19 years old that is stepping into a new role at Arkansas this year and has just never been asked to be the guy before, really. 
Yeah, no, it's totally fair. And, you know, if, if you want to look at it that way and say, hey, he's 19, he's playing in a tournament, it's a weird year. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Let's get to one other guy. I don't know. Do you want to go Franz here first? You want to go Josh Giddy from Australia? Because you have Franz, uh, I believe, going ninth, and then you have Giddy going 10th. So whatever you want to do, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, let's let's go with Wagner. I, I like Wagner a decent amount. I really think the team defense is kind of amazing. Uh, he's so good as a help side defender. Uh, like, it's funny. People he's awesome at, at me for he's, this. No, dude, he's he's un, like when you look for it, all the times he would start a defensive possession with stuff he would do coming over to help. You're absolutely right about this. It's really impressive. Go ahead. Well, look, like I, I'm on a Bill Simmons like run podcast, right? So I have to do some sort of cross racial comparison, I think, in honor of Bill. I mean, like he reminds me a little bit of like Stromile Robert Swift. Covington. Oh, I was yeah. going to say Robert Covington more than anything because you know, the way that he's so good uh, away from the ball, the way that he baits guys into taking that cross corner kick out and then just shoots the passing lane and ends up getting a steal is really, really impressive to me. Uh, I don't love him on the ball. He's better than, I think he has a little bit more upside than Covington on the ball because Covington has those just like crazy long limbs that it's really hard to get them going kind of thing uh, whenever he's on the ball. Whereas I think Wagner's built a little bit better, but Wagner's a really streaky shooter right now. Like, I think everyone's just kind of looking at him as, oh, yeah, like he's a white dude from Germany. He's going to shoot. I think he's probably going to shoot, but, you know, he made like, I think it was like 30% as a freshman and 34% as a sophomore. I mean, I'm not like 100% convinced that he's like some elite shooter, you know? Let's uh, let's talk Giddy because I don't have a lot to add there. Wagner is a very skilled player, though. Like there's 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 just a lot of stuff that maybe he surprises you with at times. You know what I mean? Like he's he's more well rounded, um, and obviously yeah. anybody that's like comparing him to his brother. I mean, he's so much. There's so much more there than his brother as a prospect. Uh, which again, it's not like anybody's comparing him to Mo, but sometimes people get a little lazy with it. Let's talk Giddy because <laughs> he's six eight plus. He's still eighteen years old. Um. This is funny because <laughs> it actually reminds me of LaMelo a little bit. Um, and when I watched all the stuff with Australia with LaMelo last year, I was on the record being like, I don't, I don't like this. Now, I, no one ever gives me any credit for saying, hey, at 6'8", sees the floor, his passing, manipulation, the vision, all that kind of stuff. You want to tell me it's going to work, then I'll listen to you. But the shot selection to just sheer disrespect for his teammates and how little he cared also should have factored into how poorly he shot it because he took like four horrible threes and they lost like all the games he played in. When I watch Giddy, can't shoot, um, yeah. is like I said, six eight plus, doesn't finish above the rim. It's all below the rim if he yeah. even finishes. He doesn't really get by anybody, but fuck, can he see stuff? 
And that's where the LaMelo <laughs> stuff comes in. We're like, there is a special, his ability to see things and, and screw with you and you can't speed him up. And if you send the, you know, two at him, he just backs it out. I was like, all right, I've already got, to, he already has all that stuff figured out. He is as special in that part of his game is like anyone's one special, like even Cade, who's really good at that stuff and not yeah. being able to speed him up. I'd put Giddy like with some of the special, the spectacular stuff he does, maybe even ahead of Cade with some of this stuff. So there is a vibe around Giddy. And I was talking to somebody down there last night about him. And he's like, do not make a mistake thinking that this kid isn't going to figure it out at some level. So you have him 10. I think that's on the, it's not too high. It's on the higher side of where people have him. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to give up on anyone that that sees the floor that well. But there's a couple athlete snob things in me with him where I'm like, "Well, wait, he doesn't get by anybody. The shot doesn't go in, and he's below the rim. So wh- how how good can he actually be?" So there's my giddy for you. Yeah. So like full disclosure, like I'm here in Melbourne, right? Like yeah. Giddy grew up like an hour away from me, like southeast of the city. I'm in like the northern suburbs, right? So like. I've, I'm one of the few people who's like seen him play live this year. I feel like uh, I totally agree with you with the athleticism stuff. I, I'm a little bit worried about it. Like I, I'm a 12 on my personal board. Like I, I'm, I, I can't get past it. I'm kind of with you a little bit. It, it, the other thing is like his handle is not amazing. Like I watched. I, He's I so loose. Play. He's just like this loose whirling dervish. Like it's a little pistol yeah. without the scoring. You know, because I didn't want to be like calling this guy Pistol Pete. And, you know, again, Pistol Pete's score first and all the other shit is second. But there isn't there that kind of feel with him that he'll just like do a couple things every every game where you're like, what the hell was that? Oh, uh, totally. Go ahead. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's 100 percent right. Like I watched Mitch McCarron, who's like Melbourne United's point guard, you know, almost made the Australian national team. So like a really good player, but not an NBA player. Right. Um like in the last quarter of that game against Melbourne United, like he crawled into Josh Giddy's space and like Giddy couldn't go anywhere. And that's a little bit of a worry to me. Like I, I'm struggling to get past that a little bit. Uh, the guy that like I've been comparing Giddy to more than anyone. And like you, like I don't love comps, but it, it's just like, I think like the simple brain and all of us likes to do it. Right. Uh, I kind of think it's more Lonzo than LaMelo. Like, LaMelo had the shake and the burst to be able to get by anyone, the change of pace, the change of direction. I think Lonzo never really had that. Like Lonzo kind of played upright a little bit and didn't really have that, like that shake that LaMelo has. And that's why I think he's settled in more as a secondary, like point guard playmaker kind of guy that you have run the court out in transition and run your offense on the break. But in the half court, like the Pelicans have been more successful with Zion running like show on offense and then Lonzo spacing the court uh, and then making decisions off of closeouts. Right. So I I think Giddy's more that, like, I I think he's more Lonzo in terms of the way that he impacts the game. I'm with you though. Like I've talked to a lot of people over here in terms of like who he is as a person and everyone to a man is just like, do not bet against him. He has a professional demeanor. He's had one since he was like 14 years old. I, he's going to figure it out. It's going to work. So look, like, I think he's like a secondary ball handler in the NBA. I think he's probably going to be a starter. I'm with you though. Like, I don't see the crazy upside where if I was a team like, you know, Memphis trying to move up in the draft potentially to get Josh Giddy, like I wouldn't be selling the farm for Josh Giddy. but if he fell to number 12 or so, like I'd feel great about getting them. 
Yeah, I mean, that's also if we start getting team specific, which I really don't like to do in the lottery, but you'd be like, okay, well, we have Ja, you know, we have Dylan Brooks and we have Bain, who I thought was terrific we've, for him last year. Kyle it's Anderson, like, who's very right, similar. Right. Kyle Anderson's the guy you actually want making decisions with the ball in his hand. Uh, the other thing with LaMelo that I didn't understand how special was his start, stop, start again. Like yeah. that's once we saw that against NBA guys, you were like, oh my God. All right. You know, because he's getting to his spots and he's and he's making reads, but his his reads are just. You know, you wonder, like, that was a part of me. I was like, if he sees stuff this well, like, is it that kind of thing with spacing and better players around him? You're like, Giddy would look even better. But he's got to, he's got to, he's got to make me feel a little bit better about not really being able to shake guys as much as I'd, I'd want for somebody who's going to have the ball in his hands, uh, especially at such a deep position. Um, I want to get to a few more guys here because I don't want to, I don't want to go for an hour with you here because everybody's busy. Um, you what get do you as do? much time as you need. You're good. I, I know. What do you do with Kai Jones? <laughs> oh god like we're, we're going the uh we're going the master's degree now um i kai jones is one of the best athletes at six foot 11 i feel like i've seen uh his lateral mobility his leaping ability his everything athletically is just a total joke with kai jones and the body control as well like he's not just this run and jump athlete like isaiah jackson is like a run and jump athlete right Kai yeah. Jones can like handle the ball and he can like actually control where he's going in transition. He can Euro step in space. It's, it's unbelievable. I think so that athleticism is real. And then he has no idea what he should be doing defensively. <laughs> like he has no idea. So uh, the feel for the game stuff, I think is a real concern. Uh, I have him like mid first, I'd feel good taking a shot on him outside of the lottery, but like I've heard, I've heard Charlotte really likes him, for instance. But I mean, that goes against everything Charlotte's ever done in the draft, first and foremost. But like, I, I can't, I can't get there with Kai Jones. I, I just can't. The tape is not there. No, and I mean, some people will go, "Hey, look, this guy was thirty-eight percent from three. It was one attempt." Yeah. I mean, the stats aren't there. I mean, and this is somebody who started less games his sophomore year than his freshman year, and he's supposed to go in the lottery. Like, what the hell does that tell you? Uh, I've watched a good chunk of it. I made the joke that if if you are the team that, if you're a fan of the team that takes him and they run through like, you know, 30 seconds of highlight clips, you, you're going to ask why I didn't go number three overall Yep. Uh, because of the body and all that stuff. But you know what was weird? Like that clutch workout that they televised, they got him through some of those shooting drills and he was actually making the shots. It is so weird that it's like his lower half is completely disconnected from his upper half. It's like yep. a hitch in your drive on the golf course. And even though he's 38% from three this year, I just, I has a weird Texas team, man. They got all these athletes running around and uh, you would think that, I don't know. I mean, I guess they, I guess they did all right. They were 19 and eight, but uh, I don't know. That, it was, a, that was, he's just, we're both we're both saying the same thing here, uh, right? I, yeah, I, I understand the physical upside of it. I understand a team in the middle of the first round being like, "Hey, sh shit!" Profile wise, ceiling like, okay, cool. Maybe we could take some three and D guy that we're not even sure is going to be consistent enough to shoot threes. You know, that's where like the Duarte Kai Jones arguments, like the great long draft argument of all time, right? Because Kai's twenty, he's six eleven, he's a perimeter player at six eleven, he has every movement down that you'd want. Whereas Duarte, because he's twenty four, but you know, normally with guys that are 24, I don't want to hear about it. I don't know that I saw another player be as engaged every single possession through a college season 
the way Duarte was. So any team that wants to take him late there in the lottery, I'm not going to tell him they're wrong because he's 24. Because it it's not just that he's big. It's not just that he shot it well. It's not that he was just what he was packed to a player of the year by the media. And then Evan yeah. Mobley, I think, was by the coaches. Duarte yeah. is just constantly on your ass. He's always, always ready to go. And you just don't see enough guys like that. So um, I don't care that he's 24 like I would with other guys. Yeah, I have a lottery grade on him. I love Chris Duarte. I think he's so good. Uh, you look at what he brings to the table, both on offense and on defense. Like you look at the NBA finals, every NBA team is looking for these guys that can play on both ends of the court and not take anything away, right? Like that's almost the biggest key to being a rotation player in the NBA, taking the fewest things off of the table, right? Chris Duarte can... Uh, shoot the ball. He shoots the hell out of it. He can shoot off of movement. He can shoot directly off the catch from a standstill. He can shoot off of relocation jumpers off of, you know, one drip pull up. He can. There's just not enough of that anymore, by the way, too. It's like guys figure out like two spots are comfortable from, and then it's over. It's like, oh, I'm corner elbow guy. Well, I'm break, you know, I'm break left baseline guy. And Duarte, like, that's what I always say about Steph and why he's the greatest shooter is he has every single muscle calibration down from every single point in any single movement in the half court of anyone we've ever seen. And that's why, like, if somebody outshoots him from three one year, I don't want to hear it. Uh, Not saying Duarte's Steph, but he has multiple location shots in him. So go ahead. Yeah, totally. And, you know, on the defensive end, like you said, he's like up in dude's ass like the whole game. He is just in their shit, and he wants to bother the hell out of them. He's an unbelievable team defender. He makes the right rotation every time. He's just going to be a good NBA player from day one. Like It's just going to happen. So I think that we often, kind of going back to your point about Kai Jones versus Chris Duarte, right? Yeah. I think that we often underrate the time value of development, right? If it takes Kai Jones two years to become anything like where he can play, and then five years before he can become like a starting caliber player, NBA teams are just like throwing a roster spot down the drain. Like they're throwing opportunity costs down the drain. And it's really frustrating to me when people are like, oh, these guys that are 24, like they don't have a ton of value. Yeah, they do. Because look at what Memphis has built. Memphis has just drafted guys that can come in and play immediately. All those guys like maintain asset value at the end of the day because you can then move them elsewhere. You can go out and, you know, maybe try and take a crazy flyer on someone later on who's a little bit better than Kai Jones. So uh, we often underrate the time value that it takes these guys who are projects to become good at the NBA level, I think. I'm going to keep moving here. Um, We didn't get to Sengun, who I, I see all the skill. I just am a little worried about drafting a guy who's playing a traditional center who, if I hope to be a good team in a couple of years, I don't know how he holds up defensively. Like I would, I would be scared to death of having a guy I got to give minutes to who I think is a five. I can't keep on the floor all the time. And that's who I think he is right now. Um, But he's incredibly skilled offensively and really, really young. And usually I think Hollinger has been on this too. I know he loves him, but like in that league, Turkish league, like putting up numbers the way he's putting them up too, like that's not a joke. Like those are the kinds yeah. of things you got to take seriously, like some of the lessons that we've heard from Luca and some of the Spanish league guys in the past too. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it's the second most uh, lucrative, I would say, international domestic league, right? Uh, not counting Euro League, not counting Adriatic League, but like single country league, it's the second most lucrative over in Europe. Uh, they get legitimate guys over there. 
uh, to play. And he was really, really good this year. To, to win MVP as a teenager in that league is no joke. I'm kind of with you. That's why I couldn't get him any higher than like eighth on my big board. I'm a little bit worried about what he looks like defensively. I will say like, I think he's a little bit better of an athlete than he gets credit for, but if he's somewhere between six foot 10, six foot 11, he's just an undersized center. And that's going to be hard at the end of the day. It's just going to be really, really hard for him to be a real rim protector. Where are you with Garuba? I love him. I love him. <laughs> I, I do too. And I feel like I'm, I'm like, are you, cause like, I don't know. I think sometimes the guys from Real Madrid, I just get too excited about him. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I wrote today. I think he's the best teenage pick and roll like defender I've ever seen as a big man. Uh, I can't believe that, like he can kind of keep you honest with his shot, too, which I, I wouldn't call a strength yeah. right now. But there's something you could see where you go. Oh, what if this actually turns into something? I mean, I always joke that if you're black and six, five with a wingspan and you took a three pointer, now everybody calls you a three and D guy. And that's why you're going to go <laughs> yeah. in the first round. Yeah. And it's bullshit. I mean, we, we call guys three and D guys that don't even hit threes. Like, this is why right. this Josh Primo thing is happening out of Alabama. And I'm like, wait, what? And I talked to somebody today who was like, I, what is wrong with you guys? I'm like, look, I'm not in charge of every fucking mock draft in the country. <laughs> and he was like, Primo is not a first round pick. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, again, it wasn't. I'm not in charge of all the lists. But I was like, this is classic 18, little length, tall. And he didn't yep. he didn't do anything except hunt threes and then have like one spectacular athletic move each game. Um, yep. But this is like Garuba. I think there's way more stuff if he's really 18. Uh, that would that would have me excited about it. So that's yeah, all. I, I mean, look, Garuba, I believe, was born in Spain. So like I, there's more reason to believe the age as far yeah. as I know in, in terms of that. Yeah, well, I'm um, not, right. I mean, it's just every now and then. No, you know, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, in regard to Garuba, like it, it, I'm with you. Like, I think that there's a semblance of a shot. I think that, uh, you watch him handle in transition. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Like he can actually grab and go on the break and then make a, like not a, not a difficult passing read, but he can hit ahead. He can make a hit ahead pass. Right. Yeah. As long uh, as he gets rid of it after a couple of dribbles, it's usually like, right. okay, yeah, yeah. You could uh, you could use him as a short roll guy that can be a release valve. Like if if it's Portland, right, and he's going out and setting a screen for Damian Lillard, and the team blitzes Lillard with both guys, it'd be pretty easy to just throw the ball to Garuba. He can take a couple dribbles. He'll make a pretty good decision, I think, at this point. So I'm with you. Like Josh Primo again, time value, prospect development. Like what's the best case scenario for Josh Primo? He's like a secondary ball handler who's like a sixth man, fifth starter. I don't want to take the time to develop that, I guess, is where I'm at. Yeah, if like if I'm looking at Primo, and I know like age-wise, I and mean, Miles McBride's 21 in September, I believe, um, and he's yeah. small. But, you know, the Cade sequence alone where he strips Cade, lay up, and then steals the pass to Cade, dunks it in less than a minute, like there's some real Kyle Lowry vibes from Miles McBride. Yeah. and. You know, sometimes I will I will defer to attitude when I look at the two attitudes guy. Like, I'll give Primo this. I don't think there was ever a time where he thought anyone was better than him in any single game that I watched this year. <laughs> <laughs> so the confidence part, it's almost like a less less of a scoring mentality, Deion Waiters times ten. But uh, all right, let me get a couple more guys from you, finish up in the last yeah. five minutes. You have Jalen Johnson going twenty fourth. Most people do not have that. I didn't love what yeah. I saw from Duke. I'm willing to like defer a, a bit that, hey, it was just a really shitty season and all this different stuff was going on at Duke. But he just didn't play well, man. Like He just yeah. didn't look very good. And I'm even though I'm not a huge Jalen Johnson guy, people still seem to have him in the lottery, and you got him going 24 to Houston. 
I don't, I don't get it. I, I talk to teams around the league. I don't get why people haven't gone in the lottery. I don't know what the spot is in the lottery. Like, I, I don't know where the landing spot is. So it, it's tough for me to try and navigate like why people still really like Jalen Johnson. And I mean, like, I'm sure you've asked around like questions about Jalen Johnson in terms of let's go with, uh, emotional maturity maybe in terms of like willingness to fight through adversity maybe is is a fair way to characterize it right yeah i think that's all fair like i don't care about the guys being in multiple high schools anymore i don't i just don't because it's kind of the deal now and i you know and yeah. i'm not saying that you do either but um uh, it's just i don't know you just kind of hear the same shit like hey well like, it'd like, be one thing if you played well and said all right now i'm just getting ready for the pros but he didn't play well and then it was like all right so yeah. did you quit because it went so bad and so now it's supposed to spend a lottery pick on you when, uh, I mean, you want to talk about some of the guys that looked a little on the softer side of things. I mean, he's, he's kind of guy, even though there's, there's this foundation of skills and all that size, which is the reason why I was supposed to be a top 10 pick the whole season anyway. So but, um, but he's like, basically like if Scotty Barnes couldn't, or like, didn't care defensively is what I think. Like he has similar stuff in terms of passing ability, has similar stuff in terms of body control, transition play offensively, but he can't beat anyone off the dribble. Like, he struggled to beat Kofi Coburn off the dribble in that Illinois game whenever he was matched up with him, like on the perimeter. So there's no burst there uh, in the half court. I don't really buy the jumper all that much. I, I just don't. Uh, he's lackadaisical defensively. I, I just don't. I don't get it. I don't get why people are really excited about him. Let's go through then real quick. You got Keon Johnson going 20. I don't think this is just on you, but I mean, that guy was everywhere from like six, seven, whatever yeah. to now it feels like it's not just you, but more people are like, wait, where the hell do you guys have him going? And now he's falling off. Let's stay with, with the SEC kids. Cause you have Keon 20th, you have Jaden Springer 21, which is ahead of Trey man, Florida 22. Then you got Isaiah Jackson, but not a guard here. Um, and then you got Sharif there somewhere. Yeah. Primo is 26. We already talked about him. You got Sharif. I think your your order of these SEC guards is almost inverted on some of the other stuff. Like I think more people yeah. like Sharif's playmaking um, and his his end to end. Like you, if you're not ready for Sharif Cooper, he's going to be up on you and past you. Um, yep. He shot it horribly. The shot looks awful. It looks like an old guy. He's impersonating. Like it's amazing how athletic <laughs> and young he looks in so much of the game. And then it's like, oh hey, I'm gonna run you know, old hickory over here. Um, here we go and get our shots up. Give me your kind of quick synopsis of why you have what I, I don't care about the mock as much, but like are do you love any of them? Are you off all of them? Give me your kind of big SEC breakdown because it's so much there's so much talent from out of that conference here later in the first round from all the mocks. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of off all of them almost, right? Like I, I don't, I don't love any of them. Like I don't think I have any of them in my top twenty. I, I guess that I have uh, may, maybe Keon the highest, and then probably or no, I have Springer the highest at twenty. It looks like, and then Keon Johnson at twenty one, Sharif Cooper at twenty four. I think Sharif's like the most interesting player in the draft because I, I genuinely believe he's the best live dribble ball handler and live dribble passer in the class. The way that he handles ball, keeps it on a string changes paces, changes direction. It's exceptional. He can throw no-look passes with either hand off of that dribble. It's unbelievable if he can get into the paint. I just worry about whether or not you can keep defenses honest enough to actually get into the paint because I think these longer defenders, if they don't actually have to care about the lack of threat of jump shot with them, I just don't think it's going to work. Like It'd be like Trey Young 
without that ability to space it out and stretch the floor. Like, I don't think that that skill set really works. And by the way, I think Sharif Cooper is a worse defender than Trey Young. That's saying something, uh, especially early Trey. You know, I mean, even going back to yeah. last year, Trey, it feels like maybe because of the help behind him, you know, some of it's been been take, corrected a little bit. Uh, yeah, Sharif's very weird, too, on the three-point shooting because it's not just, hey, I'm going to miss one. It's like, ah, I'm going to dribble. Eh, maybe I'm going to stop. Ah, fuck right. it. I'll take a three. I'll take a three. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and, and you're just like, what are you doing? And then, you know, you wonder, do you eliminate those? And he starts to get better ones. But right now, I mean, the shot looks, it's so weird. He doesn't get off the ground yeah. at all. It's sort of a slow, like weird set shot. I didn't even mention Cam Thomas, who, you know, we want to talk about shooting and all this. I mean, basically, the 20s <laughs> feels like it's all SEC guards. Uh, yeah. Or maybe just all SEC players, but um, did you see leave. Cam Thomas make a threatening pass all year? Uh, I counted sixteen games with one or zero assists. Yeah, it's that's it's hilarious. A, that's a low number for a high usage guy, but his his metrics are great because the free throw attempts. So yeah. some of these college kids will have insane metrics because they'll they'll make their free throws um, that'll offset some of the other shit that they don't really do that well, you know. And Cam, I mean, look, he can shoot it. We know his range. We know all that stuff. But I, I think I'll already hear shit about Cam Thomas where they were like, he's almost like defiantly uninterested in those parts of the game. I think that's right. <laughs> like, it feels like that when you watch. Them. Yeah, I like mean. he's proud of like, hey, I don't pass. I don't defend. I get buckets. Like, what? what's the problem? Oh. Yeah, like, what do I need? What do I? What do you need me for here on defense? Like, okay. uh, you guys can play four on five. It's fine. <laughs> we basically did the whole first round, so that's great. So let me ask you this final thing. I'll let you go yeah. here. Um, what's is there one? I ask everybody this because it's my favorite thing. Yeah. Do you have one name connected to one team that you feel the strongest about that you've heard the most? It doesn't mean it's going to be right, but like when you start making your calls and talking to everybody, and you're like, oh, this guy's going here. Is there one that you have? Is there one that I have there? Um, I mean, like, it feels like Duarte with the Warriors kind of fits that a little bit. Uh, you know, it, maybe if Davion Mitchell falls there, that could change a little bit. But, uh, you know, people really seem to like Duarte with the Warriors. I, I would say Book Knight with Oklahoma City has started to pop up, like, quite a bit in my calls. And it worries me because of how, like, secretive Sam Presti is with all of this shit. <laughs> like if I'm getting this many calls about James Booknight going to Oklahoma City, it almost makes me go, are we sure that Sam Presti is hundred percent in on James Booknight? Yeah, but remember too, like and I I said it earlier in the podcast, like you just don't get a lot from Sam Presti. It's always funny whenever you went to any of the draft camps, like Presti would sit with the Oklahoma City guys. They would not sit near anyone else. Like right. wherever they were like wherever the teams would be for these camps and guys just like bullshit and gossip and catching up everything, Oklahoma city, like they would be like, no, don't sit near anyone, which always endears yourself to the rest of the NBA guys. who are like <laughs> fucking losers, right? Because that's just the way it works. But everybody knew the Pokashevsky thing last year. Um, so that's maybe, true. you know, maybe there is hope for getting a everyone knew the campaign thing a few years no. ago. I, I text Presty once a year. I'll be like, Hey, just let me know, man. I'm around. If you want to come on or something, be like, thank you so much for reaching out. <laughs> I just like nicest guy in the world. He couldn't be nicer to me. Yeah, he couldn't be nicer to me about it. I know it's it's always my duty to ask him once a year if he'll want to talk, but um, <laughs> I know it's never going to work out. But that's my that's my white whale. Uh, uh, Sam, thank you so much for this. Um, have fun on Thursday night. Check out Sam's work on the Athletic. I know there's a paywall. I don't know what to tell you, folks. Uh, these guys are trying to keep a business 
of Flow Hero. Then follow you on Twitter where, and then check out the podcast. Yeah, Sam underscore Vicini on Twitter, uh, Game Theory Podcast on iTunes, wherever you find podcasts. I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, yeah, Ryan, thank you. I'm very glad we did this. This was super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Same. Enjoy Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Lifeadvice, rr at gmail.com. So, let's get to it. Okay. 61190. I've been weight training for 25 years and competing bodybuilding for six years with a couple of first place trophies. I was always the fat kid growing up and was around 5'9, 230 at the start of high school. Wow. Um, thick. I have body dysmorphia and probably overtrain. That body dysmorphia thing is crazy, dude. Crazy. You could just be like, hey, I look terrible today. And then the next day you're like, oh, I look good. It's crazy. Crazy stuff out there. Um, he says he probably overtrains, but I have a year-round six-pack, so now I have that going for me. Shaking my head. All right. I moved to L.A. nearly a decade ago and had a decent success. Uh, had some decent success in the entertainment industry. When I first moved here, I started at the very bottom. and did a lot of background and acting, extra work, YouTube videos, student films, just paying my dues and busting my ass. The friends that I made were also at the very bottom, and I assumed we'd all work our way up the ladder together. As the years go by, the divide is clearly getting bigger as that crew is still at the bottom with no signs of success. We still get together for holidays, some hangouts. I find myself growing apart and going to less events with the group. A few years ago, one female in particular who was at every event repeatedly told me I acted like I was better than everyone. This really caught me off guard because everyone else in my life tells me I'm super nice and humble. Insert, you think you're better than me in thick Boston accent. Sorry, that Simmons show. I barely see this group anymore. I found myself not even wanting to discuss what I'm working on because I don't want anyone to feel bad. Last year at Thanksgiving, someone asked me about a TV show they saw me on. Uh, a while ago, and I was telling the story, I looked over at the girl, and she rolled her eyes and says to the person next to her, there he goes talking about himself again. It's a good party. Uh, due to the COVID deal, the hangouts became nearly non-existent, but with the world opening back up, the invitation starting to come back to add even more awkwardness. The guy who always hosts Thanksgiving is one of my best friends, but he befriends all of my girlfriends and continues the friendship after we break up. I hope your friends don't listen to the podcast here, because you're you're going to be fucked if they do. But um, we're going to keep grinding through here. I'm going to defer to you because you're a little bit older and maybe you've already thought about that. So let me get this straight. Your friend who's really close 
friend zones all of the girls that you've dated. So he's saying this is this email just keeps dropping more and more facts on us. There's been as many as five women that I've had previous relations with at the same party. I'm not a playboy by any means, but I've typically dated two to three girls a year over the last decade. And it adds up. Sure does. I've tried to talk to him about it, but he laughs it off and avoids the conversation. I mean, look, we just get to it. If there's five girls that have all dated you at the same party, no wonder no one likes you. I mean, I don't even know. We'll get to all the other stuff, but that's that math has never worked, ever. No one's like, hey, I'm psyched. There's this guy that slept with like five of us. He's here again. Um, so I'm not a playboy by any means, but I have typically... De- all right, so all right. I've tried to talk about him. I'm very non-confrontational, so I don't push. I just cut and run and never see this entire group again. Just thinking about spending Thanksgiving with him makes me feel sick, and it's months away. Yeah, it's months away. All right. We've done eight years in a row at this place. It's hard to make friends as adults. It is. Um, and this group has been my go-to since I moved here. I do one-on-ones and small gatherings with certain people. I want to keep a relationship, but it always gets back to the others that weren't invited, and I hear about it. Um, it feels like high school. We're all late 30s and 40s. I'm getting too old for this shit. In the entertainment world, we do this terrible thing where someone asks you, how are you doing? You immediately start giving your resume to justify your worth. I'm very proud of my achievements and don't want to feel like a cocky prick when I talk about my experiences and accomplishments. I hate to think I have to censor myself to dumb it down for others who have insecurity issues, but I certainly don't want to make people feel bad for their lack of success in the same industry. Um, any advice or words of wisdom? Any he sent us a pick. He's, he's ripped up, man. Shout out. Shout out to our guy. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, as as the great philosopher Mark once told me, um, and it's it's true to this day, r- most people are not rooting for you 100%. And honestly, you could probably make that a, a bigger observation. You could just say most, most people actually aren't rooting for you. Um, I know that sounds shitty, and we hope it isn't true. But in the entertainment industry... And this kind of stuff, like, that's why I always think social media is so funny when I'll see certain people be like, oh, you go get them. You're next queen or yes, young king. And you're like, nah, you actually, you actually talk shit about this person two months ago to me on a phone call. Like you don't even like them. And now you're just trying to be part of the congratulatory parade for media people on social media and you're full of shit. And so, um, people do not root for you. Maybe you're really nice. Maybe you actually do root for everyone else. Um, I would say now that I'm over it, I want to see, I certainly want to see how my friends do really well. Um, people that I don't have a relationship with, I'm probably indifferent. I don't know that I'm necessarily rooting against anybody, but when I was younger, yeah, if I heard about somebody getting an opportunity that I'd want, you'd be like, fuck, because it's really hard. It's really competitive. So you're in an industry where it's predisposed, where people are not going to be thrilled for you getting these other opportunities and then doing better than them. I mean, they're just not. It'd be nice if if that's not how it worked, but let's 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 be honest with ourselves. It's that's this is exactly what it is. So none of this should be surprising. And I think you probably already know that part of it. Now, as far as like talking about yourself, look, I had a stretch earlier on when I first started at ESPN, and I would tell stories about it, and I had one specific friend who actually called me out and was like, "Hey, you kind of talk about yourself a lot." First of all, I'm by myself all the time and have been for too long. So then once I talk to people, I would probably update them on me because I would think that, hey, it's kind of cool. I'm working at ESPN. Let me tell you some of these cool stories that have happened. That was still uh, self-centered. I don't think I'm certainly not a narcissist, but there's a healthy ego when you have this. And so when I finally started feeling proud of myself, even though it took me up to like 30, early 30s, about some of the stuff I was doing, 
not every friend I was sharing it with was actually fired up. They were kind of like, oh, Rosillo's talking about himself again. So it happened to me. Now, what happened that was really messed up is that one of my closest friends, he actually said like, hey, guys are talking about you behind your back and they're a little sick of it. And he started naming names. And I was devastated. I was like, oh, shit, like this. I don't want to be that guy. Like that sucks. And look, I can have a little storytelling in me and I can obviously talk about myself more than I probably should. And that's, you know, look, it's also a podcast, too. So that goes with it. But off the air, that's definitely true, too. And I try to remind myself of that sometimes. But I'll check in with friends and make sure I ask about their family. But usually if I'm checking in, I'll have like something that I want to tell them. But sometimes I have to remind myself of that, have more self-awareness. And I don't always do the greatest job with it. I'll admit it. Okay, so. What the reason I'm bringing this up is that my friend lied about it. None of my other friends complained about me at all, ever, never. Okay. And so I I was like, hey, so and so said that, you know, that I was talking about. And he was, they were like, dude, no, not even close. And it wasn't them denying it. They were laughing hysterically. They were like, that's him. He's the only person that has a hang up on it. And honestly, they were just guys that are older than you that were used to you being a loser and have a harder time accepting the fact that you're not a loser anymore. And that's what that's all about. So don't ever listen to him. I didn't say it. The other person didn't say it. That's 100% on him. And then I could tell like the guy regretted saying it because he didn't just say it to me. He also lied about other guys being annoyed about me. So, I mean, that's just how stupid all of this shit can be. So um, you bring up another point, and this happens in a lot of the emails that, you know, I don't want to just cut everybody off. I can't fathom going to a party where it had been five girls that I dated throughout my life and then being like, hey, this is going to be awesome. So really, the other person's issues with you, like first, I wouldn't even want to go. So I don't even know how you would go to that anymore. And yeah, it sucks. Like keep doing the one-on-ones. And if other people feel left out, they can feel left out. But if you're going to sit there and talk shit about me and maybe look, maybe your version of this is inaccurate. Maybe you do talk about yourself all the time. Maybe you do come off as you're better than everybody else. I mean, I don't know. I'm only reading the email, but we'll try to default to that. You do have self-awareness and that it isn't awful and that these people are jealous and pissy because that's also a very real possibility. But why would you want to go anywhere where people would say this kind of stuff to you? And honestly, like if the, if the girl kept doing it, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with going, hey, do I bother you? And just call her out right at the dinner table in front of everybody else because you're going to get a real correction real fucking quick when you do that because it's like, oh, you're going to push, you're going to push, you're going to push. Well, now you're going to get a reaction. It's like, okay, so what what, what is it that I do that bothers you? Like, and let's, let's hash this out. And then maybe she'll be right and you'll want to apologize. But it sounds like you don't want to hang out with any of these people anymore anyway. So keep doing the one-on-ones. I can't in a million years, even if I loved every guy that was at this deal, wanted to be around five people that I dated at some point because they're talking shit about you. They just are. So I don't know if that's why you also have this other layer of people thinking that you come off as you're better than everybody else. And you say like, hey, I'm not really a playboy. Almost none of us are ever going outside in any social gathering where it's five women that we've dated. Now it doesn't happen. Like James Bond doesn't have those kinds of numbers in <laughs> scenes of a movie. So you're setting yourself up here where it's never you're never going to be received that great at any kind of gathering. And it kind of sucks, honestly, I think that your friend keeps doing this to you, um, but he probably is doing it to increase his own odds and then probably feels like as the friend, he can sidle up to one of them that feels burnt by you. And maybe he's talking shit about you. So honestly, I doubt I made you feel better at all. I probably made you feel worse, but um, that's kind of the way that's when I read it. I, these are all the. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like, I'm not even, I'm not mad at the email about any of this stuff. It's just, it's just, I don't think we're in, in certain industries, especially the one that you're in, 
if you're doing better than the rest of them, like they're not saying, hey, he's more talented. He deserves it. He worked harder to be like, oh, well, he just got lucky on that one deal. And then he knows this one person because they went to high school together and all this different shit. I mean, it's just it's back to the old it's back to the old deal. Like when you see a guy who's a five with a knockout, first thing you say, like, oh, I bet his dad has money. You know, we don't go, hey, I bet he's really nice. I bet he's incredibly caring. I bet he's an awesome dad. I bet you he puts her her thoughts and feelings first every single day, and he's an incredible life partner. We'll just be like, oh, I bet his dad has a ton of, ton of cash. They got a place in the Hamptons, I bet. You know, that's just what we do. We're not, we're not great with that stuff. Uh, Kyle? Uh, there was a lot of stuff in this email, but a I would lot. say I, I would say a couple things. I would say, A, this is what you get for moving to LA. Probably, <laughs> probably live in Los Feliz. <laughs> Take a big sniff and smell the desperation all around you. One of the reasons. Wow. One Most of the reasons. in the crosshairs. <laughs> one of the reasons I'm thinking about moving back home at some point. Um, that's that's one thing for sure. And like, congrats to you. You said you're a good breaker up or so am I. Like, I'll never bother you. And like, you know, I won't show up. I won't send you texts. I won't, you know, like nine of your Instagram photos. But then you can't like date, like do it again in the friend group. So, I mean, it sounds like he was bragging about being good at like cutting and running and, you know, not being clingy and making their lives weird. But then you did it again, like five more times in the friend group. So just fucking strange. That's those are the only two things I have to say. But it comes with the territory. It also sounds like he needs to date outside of this group of people. I, why is he dating the same? Well, I, no, I think group? I think what's happening is he's bringing these girls by and then the guy like. And then, then they become part out. of the crew. That's right. an incredible, I guess, skill by his friend to like add ex girlfriends to this cl- to this clique every single time. But the other thing too is he seemed kind of. Uh, it seemed like it was a: Do I have friends that are shitty, or do I have no friends at all? Like that's his sort of <laughs> conundrum. And I don't. I honestly don't know what's worse. I don't know. Like I, I really don't. Um. So I, I hate to say I don't have an answer there, but that seems like the dilemma. I would. I would say. You know, Ryan, you seem like the kind of guy who doesn't want shitty friends and would just be like, I'd rather be alone. But there are some people that like feel like they need camaraderie and need people around them, even if those people are toxic and bad for your life. Yeah, I, I would not advise anyone to do the the lonely solo mission thing that I because we get other emails being like, you seem really happy and content with everything. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't really advise this for anybody else. I mean, it's it's getting kind of old, to be honest with you. Um you know, because I was always thinking career first, grind, 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 who cares? The rest of the stuff is sort itself out. And then you're just like, all right, yeah, but you keep missing out of these experiences because all you're doing is like just working the whole time. So that's that's a whole nother. I'm not writing an email to myself here on the show. Um, uh, but you're right. I, I wouldn't put up with like, I don't know. I don't want to be hanging out with guys that, I mean, first of all, I have a hard time. Like if I don't know you, I'm just going to assume like you're going to want something. You know, and that's that's not cool. That's not fair. I mean, this is a whole nother topic, so we're just going to get off of it. But I think it's shitty that one of your best friends, the guy in the deal, keeps friending up all of the girls that you've dated. So now, I mean, I'm just telling you, I don't care who you are. The success rate at that party for, for a guy to like roll through and five, like they're all talking about you. You know, they're all dumping on you because they're probably because you you presented as if you're one of them breaking up with them all the time too i mean i mean who, who would i can't fathom wanting to go to a party with five girls that i dumped i actually think it'd be fun to do one time one right, time once. yeah one time kyle okay for the story yeah but that's about it let's get to another one. Oh, this one i kind of like this one was good a little different okay six three two twenty five 
names have been changed. All right. <laughs> Guys are catching on. Uh, by the way, that last guy, if there's any chance anyone else, he doesn't have to worry about it anymore because he's not going to get invited to anything. All right. My buddy Jay and I have season tickets to our local MLS team. We both used to go to most games nice. together. Sometimes he would buy my ticket and vice versa. If life got in the way, uh, we would take someone else with us. Jay moved to a different state this year since COVID killed most of his job opportunities. So I decided to buy out a season ticket and have two tickets to myself. Last year, there's no issue um, since games had no fans. But this year, I decided to, uh, to take either my girlfriend or a friend of mine to each game. I've been asking different friends so that I can catch up with them. I've taken a specific friend, let's call him Dave, multiple times since he's really fun to go to games with, sings all the songs, we trade buying rounds, and he's just a fun dude to go to sports events with. Man, Dave sounds great. Good for you and Dave. He's hinted at wanting that second season ticket for me, and it'd be cool to make going to the games with him a regular thing. I've been with my girlfriend, let's call her Sandy. You don't hear a lot of girls named Sandy anymore. It's an older name for sure. My grandma's is. Sandy. Really? Yeah. Reese, yeah. Right? Eighth grade was for me was was a sandy um was it real serious 13 anyway um for almost five years now he's been with sandy we live together she's an awesome partner the problem is she's kind of not amazing to go to sporting events with especially soccer she played varsity and keeps on making remarks during the game that are a bit of a buzzkill okay varsity what college or high school that seems high school yeah yeah. Okay. So she played varsity in high school is what we're going with here. What, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Um, she constantly mentions how women's soccer is better, tougher or less floppy. She gets upset when the crowd insults, boos, or makes fun of an opposing player. She likes playing sports, but doesn't really enjoy watching them. While the current season is only halfway done, I've already put down the deposit for next season. Currently, my girlfriend's work schedule is such that she can't even make half the game, so taking friends half the time works out. But that is probably going to change to such that she can make most games. I'm not dumb enough to just tell her you're a buzzkill at these games. Smart. But how do I navigate making these season tickets a thing for just me and my buddy where I can maybe take my girlfriend for a game or two during the season? Since there's good availability, I do try to get to three... Um, Oh, since there is usually uh, good availability, I do try to get three to four season tickets. And Oh, all right. This is the other part of the question. Should I try to get three to four season tickets and make it a group thing with more people to offset both sides and make good money so I can pay for the extra season ticket for her? Telling her that I can only afford one and that's why Dave needs to buy one off of me won't work. Any ideas would be great. This is a tough one. I mean, you're already smart enough to not... You can't tell her. You can never say, hey, you suck to watch games with. Um and if she doesn't get that, like, you're going to get mad every time the opposing team is booed or somebody says something like that's just I'm not saying it's cool, but that's going to a live event. And then if she's giving you a lecture on why women's soccer is better the entire game, um, and we're not debating that here on the podcast, but that would get old. That would probably get old after a little while. Uh, it sounds like he said he could afford the extra tickets, but I'm just wondering, like, if you got four season tickets. How many MLS games in a season, Saruti? Is it 20, 30? Uh, it's all summer, so yeah, probably twenty between 20 to 30. Then there's the playoffs, yeah. All right, so 15 games, says he can swing it. That's my question, though. Is is she more inclined to be cooler as a, as a fan if there's more people involved? Because that was the first thing I thought of, and if he said he could swing it, yeah, maybe just do four tickets, and then you're always inviting other people to kind of group it up. Or, is she, I mean, if she does this all the time, she's probably going to do it that way, too. I don't really know what to do. Probably have to get a divorce. I'm just What's kidding. that? There you yeah. go. That's 34. it. Oh, they're, all, they're not even married. So there you go. 
34 games, by the way. So it's actually more than than you would think. Okay, well, still, you know, we're not way off there. 17 home games. Uh, that's a tough one because I, I look male, female, whatever. I, I can't. It's not fun to go to games with people that just don't don't like vibe is maybe not the right word, but it, it kind of is the right word where you just like what kind of where are you at with it? And, you know, sometimes you'll go to games with people. Our favorite thing to do, we used to do, you know, game day sidelines for all those years is every time somebody made a play, we would tap McShay and be like first rounder, first rounder. <laughs> and it was so fucking annoying sure, because that yeah well because everybody else did it to him in like a serious way like there'd be other guys and they'd be looking at him and be like hey that left tackle like he's you know he's pretty good like what kind of grade do you have on him and mcshay would have to like seriously engage the whole thing so stanford steve and i would just do it every time a guy made a catch we'd just be like he's got to be a second rounder right and he just of course mcshay would just be so fucking annoyed the whole time um and so, yeah, like that's that's obviously a very specific, very different way of doing it. Go ahead, Saruti. What do you got for this? No, one? I mean, you know, I think soccer is a, a maybe one of the most important sports where camaraderie and who you go with and who's around you is very important because this guy is talking about how oh his buddy's fun to go out with. He knows the chance. That's a, that's a big deal in soccer circles because so clearly they're like very invested, and involved in the fandom, right? If it's a baseball game, you know, you go, you sit, you have some beers. You know, NFL is kind of less fan experience is more just about the game i would say the mls and you know soccer in general like you need to like who you're going with and if your person is always a, a downer then you're not going to have a good time ever so and then my the other problem would be if you do end up buying the extra couple season tickets she's still there and she's still going to be saying the same shit but she's going to be doing it in front of your friends and bringing everybody else down too so i don't know if that's actually the solution i think you kind of just have to confront her and be like hey do you actually like mm-hmm. soccer? Do you nah. like going to games? I no, 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 no. I am very much a Brian. You said this like confront in, in the last email. You said you got to yeah, but he wasn't someone that was someone at a dinner party. He's not marrying that person. Like but it's this gonna, is a problem. It, but, but it's going to bother you. So why don't why don't you say hey, like totally okay if you don't want to go to these games. If you don't like going, it's fine. I'll take my buddy. But like you know, I like to have a good time. It's really important to me. And just stress to her how important it is to you that you like doing the chance. You like having beers. You like having a good time. And don't want to talk about how annoying everything is. And, you know, if she's really offended by that, then that's kind of a red flag anyway. What if you yep. did the switcheroo and like sort of like Indiana Jones when he puts the sandbag down on the thing where he takes the idol? What if he's like, and here's Dodgers games instead? That'll be our new thing. I mean, I don't know what city they're in, but if they have an MLS team, maybe they have a baseball team, too. So you could be like, you know what? I think we should let's do baseball games. And then you can, you know give your buddy the other season ticket. And then now you bring her to baseball games or I don't know what city you're in, maybe basketball games. I don't know. But maybe not something she thinks she can do herself. No, Kyle, I think you're actually on to something, but you, I'm going to, I'm going to see maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe is there any way you could say, Hey, I'm saving for like, well, I don't know if you want to say, Hey, I'm saving for a ring. If you've been with her five years, you're probably going to marry her. I imagine here. Um, and if this is like the worst part of the relationship, that's not very bad, right? Um, and you have to also remember that maybe she doesn't even see it that way. She's just so thrilled to spend time with you, right? And she's doing, but it would get annoying. Like I wouldn't want to hang out with anyone, male or female, that was going to sit there and just kind of not get the crowd. Like, why are they booing? Don't they understand? Like I played, you know, none of you guys I, could I play. Played, you didn't. Yeah. And you just be like 10 minutes into it. You'd be like, hey, look, that's just not, this is not the way this works. All right. Um, could our emailer 
ask his friend to buy the season tickets. And then he says to the Sandy, like, hey, I'm saving for something. I mean, again, you would have to buy the thing you were saving for eventually. You could say you were saving for a boat. You could say you were saving for a ring. You could say you were saving for a summer house. But again, I don't know how well you're doing because then it'd be like, well, what are you talking about? Like, we're not getting MLS tickets. So in 20 years, you can get us a, a summer house in Wilmington. Um, so my point would be, is there any way <laughs> to justify not using any income on this, but then having Dave buy the tickets and then now they're Dave's tickets they're not It'll your tickets. Yeah. And then that way Dave is inviting you. And then when Dave never invites your girlfriend, like that's that's on Dave. It's not on you anymore. That's the only thing I could think of here that would make sense. Um, and who knows? You know, she might say, like, I don't there's also a version of this where she doesn't like going so much that she thinks she's doing you the favor. Yeah. By going. That's what I'm saying. Confront her. Maybe she just doesn't want to go and she's doing it and she's annoyed every time she has to go. So if you actually bring that conversation to her, she's like, thank God you said something. I hate soccer. I hate going to soccer games. Go with Dave. Confront <laughs> is just a strong word, Saruti. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yes. It's, it's a strong word to then go back and sleep in the same bed. Maybe not confront. Just ease the conversation in and just, you know, just see what, see what comes it out. Sa- it know. sounds like you want him to chirp his girlfriend. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying come in there like what's your problem, bro? I'm not saying come in there guns blazing hostile, but just just make it known that you like this thing. But I do think Ryan, your solution actually does make a lot of sense. The only thing is, you know, then just Dave start asking other people, and you don't get to go to as many games as you want to go to. I don't know. This ha- there was this have to be a pact with Dave. Yeah, this guy clearly the emailer really likes going to soccer games. This sentence is just so great. The problem is that she is kind of not amazing to go to sporting events with. <laughs> especially soccer all right so he said sporting events oh and then especially soccer so this is dodgers are out yeah well yeah, she has strong is... opinions on soccer it sounds like maybe there was just you know well, she played varsity You're that's right. what i'm saying i mean i played varsity football as well i don't i'm not critiquing pole blocks i don't know <laughs> yelling at officials <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's something weird that happens with us and you know i've said this about sports forever but people are so comfortable talking about sports and having no idea what they're talking about. And it's just our desire to be involved, to be involved in a way that helps us stand out. And, um, you know, look, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very small thing. Like for Sandy, for this to be a hang up about Sandy, it's a very, very small thing, but you're right. It's, you got to know her. You got to know her well enough. And if she played varsity, she's probably pretty aggressive. So she might not like this. If if you were like, "Hey, do you want to go to these games anymore?" Because you suck to sit next to. Um, I would not phrase it that way. But yeah, I don't. This one's kind of tough, man. This one's kind of tough. Good luck with that one. All right, that was life advice. Hit us up, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Make sure you check out Bill Simmons his feed uh and then it'll be off of the ringer feed as well and i'll tweet it out at ryan a Rosillo. um we're gonna just go live at the start of the nba draft you know we talked about this for certain times and we just felt like hey we can do a really good job with the coverage so you know you want to check us out we'll be reacting to the picks you know hopefully have have some info on some of the stuff and you know i know that kevin puts a ton of work into it and uh you know i've gotten caught up here for for quite a bit of the you know the guys so anyway uh check us out draft night will be good to go and then that will be released as i think a multi-part podcast as well so again thursday night so thanks for listening to the ryan russell podcast thanks to steve and kyle and we'll be back 
on Thursday night.